Hey everyone, my name is Paige and I am the Creative Arts Manager at Grace Church Barberton. Welcome to our Sunday service podcast. We are so glad you are listening. This is the live recording of our Sunday message and we hope you are encouraged and challenged by what you hear. Let's jump into week number one of our new series, The Baptism, A Journey Through Luke. If we miss that Jesus is greater, Jesus will become one of three things for us. First is Jesus will become a fad. If Jesus is not greater and we don't see him as that, he'll just become a fad where I attach to him when it's really popular, or I attach to him when it's really going well, or I attach to him when I'm not feeling great and he makes me feel better. It becomes a fad where I wear the stuff as long as the stuff is in, the t-shirts, necklaces, got the books, all of that. Secondly, if he's not greater, Jesus will just become a belief system. Right? And you might be like, don't I, don't I believe in him? Can I trust in him? I'm like, yes, but hold on with me. If he's not greater, all he'll become is just this guy in the sky that I attest belief to that he exists and my life doesn't change because of it. He's just a belief system. So my belief never actually turns the dial on my behavior. I just kind of attribute that he was in the Bible and that I go to church and I do all the right things and I kind of follow along with everything else. Lastly, if he's not greater, we don't treat him as such, he'll just become a self-help mechanism, right? He'll just become a self-help mechanism. All of a sudden, he'll just become the guy with the really cool sayings. He'll become the guy that if I just follow what he said and did, then I'll just feel better about myself. I'll just kind of feel better about myself. I'll speak better into myself. And all of a sudden, I can live life the way that I want to out of that. But if Jesus is greater, should lead us into a specific life response toward him that is very specific and that he introduces through this chapter. Luke 3 continues. After Luke 3, 17, he says, his winnowing fork is in his hand. He's going to clear the threshing, ho- uh, flesh- threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but it will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is where then John goes. With many other words, John extorted the people, proclaimed the good news to them. Here's the reality. What John did not want them to miss, and he doesn't want us to miss, is the good news is that Jesus is greater. He's greater. There is no question to it. There is no, there is no debate to it. He is greater than anyone. We'll get to that. But very specifically, John speaks into this because he's talking to multiple audiences. The one that's right in front of him sees him as John, right? But they also would have had a lot of history as God's people and the people we read about in the Old Testament. And he speaks into that. But John, as he proclaims the good news of Jesus to come, that was his role. Verse four through six tells us that. Luke 3, let's hop back to the beginning. This is what said, John comes, baptism of repentance, right? he's speaking in Judea, he's going around, he's baptizing, some neat things are happening. And then it goes into this passage, which comes from the book of Isaiah. Because it's written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, Luke's writing this. A voice of the one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. 
make straight paths for him. Every valley should, or shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Listen, what he wanted you to know, Luke and John, ultimately by his response, is I am here to make straight paths. I'm here to make the road smooth for the one who is to come. I'm here just to usher in the Savior and Messiah of the world because he's greater. Listen to me, he's greater. And ultimately in that, John is inviting sinners to turn in light of Jesus' coming. That, that's what Luke called the baptism of repentance, right? Baptism of repentance, he's inviting people to very literally get into the water, right? And see their sin, turn from it back to God or turn back to their God in light of that. And baptism was this very literal, physical demonstration of that, that John is using water to demonstrate through. And his desire ultimately is to make smooth roads and seeing hearts to Jesus. And I, I love John because the reality of John is this, as he's doing that, many were like, aren't you the guy? Like, they're like, aren't you the guy that, like, you're telling us all this, you're doing the baptism, look, there's like even Roman soldiers out here, like their lives are being changed, what's going on? And John is adamant that Jesus is greater than him. Listen, that is a profound, profound thing that you need to see in this chapter, that Jesus is greater than John. And John wants you to know. Because in a different gospel, in the gospel of John, not John the Baptist, but John the disciple, who wrote another gospel called the Gospel of John, we see John the Baptist interacting with this same conversation. John the Baptist had some disciples following after him. And they looked and saw Jesus, and, and people were starting to follow Jesus more. And, and even some of the disciples that were with John started to go over and follow Jesus and interact with Jesus' ministry. The disciples are like, Hey, John, like, aren't you nervous? What's going on here? How are you going to interact with this? And this is what he says to them, John 3.30. He must become greater, I must become less. What a bombshell of a statement. I must become less, he must become greater. John has a genuine joy in hearing Jesus come. He has a genuine joy. He says, uh, when the bridegroom comes, like, I want to be a part of that celebration. When Jesus is here, I want to celebrate the fact that he is here because he's the Savior, he's the Messiah, he is the one who is greater. So John sets him up and says, Jesus, the good news is Jesus is greater than me. You can almost see it in John's words. He's like, you don't want me. Like, trust me. Like, this is the guy that's coming. I'm not worthy. I'm tied his sandals. Like, you want him. But it even goes beyond that, right? What's interesting is John, he's adamant. He, he has a humility and courage to point them to Jesus. That is his role. That's what the prophet Isaiah was prophesying. That's what we see in Luke 1 and 2, that he is to come and point people to Jesus. But Jesus is greater than Abraham, which, listen, to us, right, that doesn't mean much because we're like, well, duh, we talk about Jesus a lot more than we talk about Abraham. But inside of that cultural moment for the Jewish people, that would have been shocking. Like, what do you mean he's greater than Father Abraham? Because here, clue in here, eyes up here, eyes up here. Just like sometimes we can believe our church attendance will save us, they believed that their heritage would save them. 
they believed that they were the son or daughter of Abraham, we're good. We're, we're fine. We got this all covered, right? I got Abraham. He's on my genealogy. And John's like, you don't understand. Jesus is even greater than him. This is where Luke 3, Luke takes the conversation. John takes the conversation, 7, 8. John said the crowds coming out to be baptized by him. You brought a vipers, which is just an interesting way to start a sermon, right? Can you imagine if I got up here and said, welcome, you brought a vipers, right? John is just a different beast, and I won't do that to you, I promise. He's just a different beast, right? Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. We'll come back to that. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, right? He's like, no, you're missing the point. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham, which is another bombshell statement. He's like, "Uh uh-huh, I understand Abraham is your father. God can raise up out of these stones children for Abraham. It don't mean diddly poo, (laughs) right? For your salvation, it doesn't mean anything because Jesus is greater than Abraham. Jesus is the one to come. He is the embodiment of God in a human body. And all of a sudden, he turns the dial. And then we take it to another notch that will get real personal. Because <laughs> I was praying this morning, and I, I just know that this is something I struggle with, and I assume all of human history has struggled with this. The fact that Jesus is not just greater than John, he's not just greater than Abraham, Jesus is greater than anyone. And listen, I say that, we write it down, we have a mug that says that, we have a t-shirt that says that, we're a sweatshirt, right? And it's all cool until it starts to interact with my life and get in the way of how I want to live or how I want to be God of my life or how I want to interact inside of this life. Jesus is greater than anyone. Luke 3, 16 John takes the conversation here. We read this already. John answered them after they're like, are you the Messiah? Because I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Listen, that is a bold and audacious statement right there. Saying this person who is 100% human and 100% God equally together walking this earth, that I am not worthy in and of myself, in and of who I am, in and of what I've done, to even untie his sandals, to do the simplest of a servant's job because there is just too much there. He is greater. And as I was wrestling with that, as I was studying it, there were things that just popped in a beautiful way. Because Jesus is greater. Jesus is the great God of the universe in human form that's come to rescue us. And not only is he greater, but he's also gracious inside of that. And the fact that he is greater points me all the more to his great grace and the beauty that comes with that. I was reading through a book this week and it dropped me in a chapter about the holiness of God right? Because here's the reality. Jesus, Jesus is holy, right? I'll use those words interchangeably, greater and holy, right? Because holiness, we don't necessarily use very much, right? It's not like, oh, how was your day? Had a holy day, right? We just don't use that word in this culture. But holy, kind of in, in a sense, means to be set apart or distinct, uniquely separate or different in a class of its own, 
So Jesus as holy is set apart. He's in a class of his own. He's distinct, uniquely separate. He is also completely pure all the time and in every way. And what's interesting about the holiness or the greatness of our God is not that he puts that on and takes that off as he pleases. It's just who he is. Like the essence of our God is the fact that he is set apart, beautifully, uniquely set apart, distinct in his own class and greater than we could ever imagine anything or anyone that's ever existed in this universe. And all of a sudden, as we gaze upon that greatness or that holiness of our God, we cannot help but experience the smallness of us. Because here's what's also interesting about the greatness of God and the holiness of who he is, is that no one in and of themselves can even come close to him in that. We cannot even come close to him in essence of holiness or even come close to him in even presence because his holiness destroys anything that is unholy. And inside of his greatness and holiness, not only does there exist grace, which we'll talk about, but there exists this recognition of the smallness of who I am based on who he is and his truth and his law and ultimately what he is all about. You and I cannot stand in the presence of God without recognizing how sinful and broken we are simultaneously. We see that in another passage in Isaiah. Isaiah 6, verse 3 through 5. Isaiah, who's a prophet, he's writing and and he's got some hopeful stuff and he's got some some things that judgment coming on Israel and he's just kind of writing all this. He has this moment Right? He has this moment where he has this vision in Isaiah 6. And this is what he sees. He sees seraphim, they're called. They got six wings, and they're kind of covering themselves in the presence of God. And they're calling to one another in the presence of God, literally in the presence of God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now listen, holy said once is a very distinct measure, set apart in a class of its own, holy, holy, holy. He's like, there is nothing that means come close. Our God is holy, holy, holy. Anything that would even remotely be resembling holiness wouldn't even touch our God in holiness and greatness. And then Isaiah responds, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And in this moment, the holiness of God, the greatness of who God is and who we see God in the person of Jesus should hit us. First, it should hit us in a unique way. My smallness compared to his greatness. My smallness compared to his greatness, right? Here's reality, okay? I have an experience that in, in percentage form explains this, so just bear with me. I went one time, actually it was twice, me and my brother and my dad got to go experience an Ohio State game. I don't like Ohio State. I'll say it from the front. I don't like when they win, right? I don't like anything about them. And, and I went in that way, okay? Here's the reality. We went in, my brother, he had a recruiting trip, and it was really cool and awesome. They walked in, we got free dinner, free lunch, whatever it was, right? 
And then they walked us down to the field. Now listen, I know if you're not a football fan, you may not connect, but just imagine in a kind of cylinder format, a circular format, 105,000 seats. Like it's just this huge auditorium, a football field, right? Huge. And all of a sudden I got down and I was literally within feet of the Bosa brothers and of all, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, all of these guys, right? And you cannot help but feel the greatness, right? The immense craziness that is inside of that arena and with those players. All of a sudden I went from, oh, these Ohio State players, I hate this, I hate that, I don't like them this, I don't like them that, to like, wow. I can't help but experience not only the greatness of what's happening here, but how small I am, right? Right? Those guys could rip me in half, literally, right? Here's the reality. Our God is holy, 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 beyond 100,000 seats, auditorium, a football field, football players. He is way beyond that. And when you and I sit in the amazement of that, you and I can't help but experience a smallness and draw our attention to the sinfulness of who we are. I was blown away by that this week. You actually think about who God is. Stop for a second. Stop writing down. Stop looking. Just think. Just close your eyes and think. Just think. It don't matter if you believe, don't believe right now. Just think. The God of the universe who created everything, sustains everything, the king over everything. He's in control right now. He sits in the heavens. The universe exists as it does in the smallest atoms of my body to the biggest of planets and universes across the landscape because of him. And he, in his perfection and in his beauty, created life to be lived in such a way that was following after his design and his goodness. He is a good God. He did not create you and I just to see us fail. He created us to invite us into relationship with the goodness of who he is. And if he wasn't holy, what we're doing right now is silly. Listen, if you don't, if you do not believe You're just checking things out. Just hold on with me, okay? If he's not holy, what we're doing is silly. If he's not set apart and distinct, if he didn't create everything, if he's not sustaining everything, if he's not the God of the universe, why are we sitting here? Because he can just be like us at that point. But he is the God of the universe who created everything. I am so glad he's holy, and I'm so glad in his presence I feel small. Because in my smallness, I can respond to his graciousness. Because his greatness points me to his graciousness. The fact that I feel small shows me the fact that I need him. And in needing him, he has offered me a way through Jesus. Greatness, my smallness compared to his greatness, but his grace, secondly, to humble himself to save us. R.C. Sproul, he's an old pastor. He, he wrote this in one of his books. When we understand the character of God, when we grasp something of his holiness, then we begin to understand the radical character of our sin and helplessness. 
right? When we grasp something of his holiness and we begin to understand the radical character of our sin and helplessness, helpless sinners can only survive by grace. When you and I realize it, 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 it shouldn't be so much, oh my gosh, how do I get there? Or oh my gosh, I need to quit. But oh my gosh, how can I run into the grace of God, the same holy God that's offering me grace in the midst of his greatness to have relationship with him. He recognizes the smallness and he's made a way for me to interact and follow after him. Let this blow your minds. Let this blow your mind. If you believe that our God is holy, set apart, distinct, and a class of his own, let it blow your mind that he wants a relationship with you. Seriously, this, I was just sitting upon that this, this week and I was like, oh my word. Like the God of the universe who could be fine and dandy functioning in relationship with himself because he does that successfully and well, created us and we done messed up and he still wants a relationship with us. Should baffle and shock us. And that's what Isaiah experienced. And that is my desire and hope to what I get to experience every day. His amazement to who he is because the holy God of the universe put skin on to be with us, not to condemn us, but to save us. Because here's the reality. His holiness can't interact with unholiness. His holiness can't interact with impurities. His holiness can't interact with sin. And yet in his full holiness, he put skin on, humbled himself to this earth. And what happened is through his holiness of being 100% God and then in 100% human form, he came to rescue and to save, not to condemn through it and invite us in. That's the person of Jesus. Jesus is greater. He's greater, not just because he's in a book, and not just because we sing songs about him. He's greater because he's God in flesh. He is the holy God, the greater God in the flesh who has come to lavish this grace upon us every single day and invite us in. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells me this. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, it is only through Jesus the one who had no sin, lived a perfect life, did everything to the T, fulfilled the law, actually, didn't just meet the requirements of the law, fulfilled it inside of himself, inside of his person. He became sin for you and I. So you and I could experience the righteousness of God. Listen, we're gonna get to application here in a minute. If you have never interacted with Jesus before or God, there's a lot of different ways you could think about God and a lot of different ways that you and I maybe believe about God. But let this be known. The God of the universe, the holy God that, yes, in his greatness makes us feel small, loves you, literally died for you so that you could have a relationship with him. And inside of his greatness, he didn't lob that over us and say, you better climb the ladder quicker. In his greatness, he humbled himself because he's the only one that could save us. He decided to let go of his greatness, hang on a cross, and then he defeated death and sin, which none of us could do. And he defeated death by rising again three days later. And he says, believe in me. 
Because none of us can do that on our own, and no one else can do that for us except for him. So where do we respond? Where do we go from this? How do we interact with this? The first thing I would say is this. His greatness leads to my repentance. Greatness leads to my repentance. We're getting to churchy words, okay? Literally, repentance is basically like the, the just kind of literal term is to turn away from or turn from something to another thing, all right? And his greatness and the greatness of God, it should help me or it should push me to respond to him. It is going to lead me to respond. There's a quote by Eugene Peterson. I'm not going to read it all, but I'm going to throw it on the screen. I was fascinated by this. He would say this, the Bible isn't interested in whether we believe in God or not. It assumes that everyone more or less does. Okay? Whether you agree with that or not, it's not the point. It's just interesting. Okay? The, the scriptures even say demons believe and they shudder at who he is. What is interesting in is the response we have to him. Will we let God be as he is majestic and holy, vast and wondrous, or will we always be trying to whittle him down to the size of our small minds? Listen, that, that is... Jesus's desire is that we would respond to him. The, the, the assumption, whether you agree with it or not, or whether you believe or not, is whatever. His heart's desire is to respond to him as greater, that we respond to him as more, that we respond to him as the God of the universe. And when we're faith with Jesus, he invites us to respond inside of that way. And John tells us that Jesus has come to do as such. Jesus has come to offer us new life. This is what John says in verse 16 and 17 of 3. This is what he says about Jesus. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, right? Sure, tense terms, right? Like, what's the Holy Spirit? Who is he? And fire, right? Like, what is going on there? Literally, Jesus's invitation of repentance is to run from the direction of sin that I'm going and redirect to him. To run from the direction of sin, to literally 180 and call it on the table and recognize who he is and turn and run towards him in that. And I imagine that in some way, this is the conversation Jesus wants to have with us. There's a graph up here. We've used this lingo before, if you want to throw that graph Use this lingo before, but there is, in a sense, a circular conversation to this. That his greatness, first and foremost, it should move me to repentance. His greatness, right, if I choose to, it's going to move me to say, I cannot do it on my own. I need you. If it doesn't, I'll just keep running that direction, right? Non-repentance, I guess, Right? But to repent is to recognize that. And repentance, turning from, leads me into belief. It leads me, it leads me into seeing God's greatness and believing in it more and more and that he's Savior and that he's Messiah and that he's King and he's gracious and he's loving and he's the Holy God. That when I turn and face him, I am faced with believing and this is the one I'm trusting my life with. Which then, as I believe more and more, I will follow him more and more. And my life starts to run after him in that. Here's what I believe. I'm skipping ahead a little bit. Is I believe this starts as a one-time thing, but it actually becomes a daily cyclical thing. That every morning I wake up, this is the cycle that my heart should be on. 
uh, Lamentations talks about his mercies are new every morning. I take that very literally because my heart is bent towards sin every morning. And I have a chance to run into the mercy and grace of God and to, he offers me to repent from the pride or the selfishness or the lust of my heart and believe that he is the only savior. None of that can be. And that today I would follow after him inside of that. Offering me good news through Jesus. Now here's reality. If this cyclical cycle misses any part of it, right? I miss out on what Jesus is offering me. Right? If I just choose to repent and not believe and follow, right, I'm just living inside of Jesus being a fad. When, when, I, when I think I'm doing bad or I'm not doing well enough or I kind of need that special kind of juice, then I go to Jesus and I repent, oh, I'm so sorry, and I need this and that, and then a week later, it just kind of goes back into the cycle, right? If I just choose to believe and repent and follow aren't a part of it, right, it just becomes a belief system, and I check Christian on the voting, the voting card or whatever it may be, right? I go to church. I do this. I do that. If I just follow, he just becomes a self-help mechanism. I'll just follow his teachings, and we'll just kind of assume everything's okay. But he offers me new life. And it starts by looking at his greatness and being wowed by that, turning to him, believing he is the only Savior, and following after him inside of life. And he offers us a response to that. Now, what's interesting is this, right? As I do that, I believe and saturate myself in the gospel more and more, right? My life starts to follow after him more and more naturally. As I do that and bend my heart that way, what I love about our God is that his greatness his grace and his kindness that leads us to repentance. This is what Paul writes in Romans, and then we'll, we'll go from there. He says, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not reali- realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Listen, that is what he is offering us. I think a lot of times we read John, right, John's sermon, or, or we kind of read scripture like that, and we're like, it's hellfire and brimstone, Right? We're like, what are, you, what are you doing, John? What's going on here? I don't understand. It's winnowing forks and unquenchable fires and this and that, right? The reality is when I'm struck with the greatness of God, what leads me to repentance is his grace, not guilt. And so this morning, for some of us, right, we're faced with this greatness of God that we've never been faced with before, maybe, in the person of Jesus, And he is offering you new life through believing and entrusting your life to Jesus. And it starts with, I'm going this direction, I see the greatness of God, and it turns me to believe in who he is and what he's all about, the good news of Jesus, that he is the only Savior. He took my place on the cross so that I could have life. When I step into that, it allows me to understand what it looks like to follow after him inside of that. We would say in the shortest of terms, would you say yes to Jesus? Would you say yes to Jesus? And for some of us, it's just kind of looking upon the greatness of God for the first time. That's how we're going to say yes to Jesus this morning. For others of us, there's something distinctly driving our life, and saying yes to Jesus means turning towards him, right? May not be believing in everything that he is, but may turn for others of us, It is believing in the fullness and richness of the gospel that he is the only savior for my life. 
For others, it is saying yes to him and following after him in that with my life. Would you say yes to Jesus? Everybody has a different story. Where do you fit into that? And are you offering up yourself to God every morning inside of this? Because I think we wake up and we're directing, our direction is this way. And through his mercy and his kindness, he wants to redirect us this way. Now, lastly, all right, we responded to his greatness and repentance. And then if you've been following Jesus for any time, this is just something to know. My repentance leads to fruitfulness. My repentance leads to fruitfulness. Okay, now listen, this is something that, like last night it hit me and I was like, oh, you know. Luke 3, 8, this is what John says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Then he goes on to verse 9, it's not on the screen, but he says the axe is already at the root of the trees. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Here's the reality, it's really easy in my spiritual life to get on the activity train and assume that's where fruit is produced and assume that that is where, that is where I am found. My identity is found and formed is on that train and on the ministry train of activity. Well, if I save enough people or if I share enough or if I do enough or if I serve enough, then I will kind of be able to get to a point where I'm feeling good enough that I'm following after Jesus. And here's the reality. Producing fruit does not start with activity but vulnerability with Jesus. That's where fruit starts. The last five or six months, that has wrecked me personally. I thought I was just doing more. I thought I was putting more in the calendar. But every day, I need to offer myself up to God in repentance, belief, and following after him. Because he wants his greatness to overwhelm us. Because he is the God of the universe, and he is the one that everything comes through. And so when John introduces Jesus, it's not just like, hey, this is my cousin. He's a pretty good guy. He's like, I can't untie his sandals because he is greater than you could ever imagine. What you're looking at right now is the holy God of the universe in human flesh, and I invite you to see that in your life. So as we end today, what is your response to Jesus? What is your response to Jesus? Is it right now you're just checking things out and that's okay? Like, we are cool with you checking things out. It's totally cool. But hopefully today you leave with even just a percentage more of who God is and what his greatness is all about. Maybe for some of us, we've never been struck with the greatness of our God. And it's never his kindness, his grace. We've never just sat upon the wonder of that. And it's never led us into repentance. Maybe that's where you sit at today. For others of us, it's saying yes to Jesus for the first time. And for some of us, it is saying yes to Jesus on February 12th, 2023, for the 500th, 1,000th, 15,000th time. Allowing him to be the one that guides and directs my life because Jesus is greater, and he came to let us know that. Father, we thank you so much for who you are and all that you do. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy and your power and that you are holy. We just sang about that. We, we get to sit in that, but we don't understand that. Father, we, we don't 
we can't even fathom what holy, holy, holy means, uh, even just now, but even visibly. And so, Father, we just want to step back and praise you. So I step back and praise you because we recognize it, even if we don't fully understand it. And so, Father, inside of this moment, would you help us see your greatness in a new way? Father, we praise you and celebrate you because your promises are true. But you sent Jesus to do for us what we could not do on our own. And if that was the only promise that you left us with, that promise is good enough to follow after you. And we thank you for the promise of salvation through Jesus, the promise of the fact that you're building your church and that you're the one that is giving to our fruitfulness. And so, Father, this morning, would you do what only you can do? Father, I just ask that in our own lives and in our own moments, whatever we may be facing, that, Father, you would grace us and give us mercy with who you are. Before we go off and do anything, that you would just strike us with the beauty of who you are, the person of who you are, and what you've done for us. Father, I ask that we would not grow old, weary, and tired with the fact of your greatness and your holiness and your wonder. If anything, Father, would you keep that afresh inside of us, inside of our community, for the sake of Jesus being known in and around. I pray for our community that they would not see Grace Church as greater, but Jesus is greater. They would not see an individual as greater, but they would see Jesus as greater. They would not see lights and events as greater, but you as greater. And that you would help us play a role inside of that. We give this all to you, and we just want to give you the glory inside of this next song. Pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this week. If you'd like to reach out and connect with us or hear more about Grace Church, you can head to barberton.gracechurches.org for more information. We meet in person at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 629 Wesleyan Avenue in Barberton. Have a great day, and may the peace of God be with you.